listening to the Pilgrim Star Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Gracie. Thanks for being with me today. This episode is entitled, The Flame of Divine Justice. for a while. Uh, my family moved um, uh, further west uh, within San Antonio, and my wife uh, and I have um, been adjusting to the birth of our son, Daniel. So, you know, I've had to... Uh, you know, make some adjustments, um, adapt a little bit, and this has kept me from, um, you know, being really attentive to uh, the podcast. But this is good because it gave me some time to think about, um, you know, uh, the theme, you know, the subjects, the topics, etc., for this podcast. So I feel very prepared, very ready, um, you know, to to talk about it. In our last episode, um, we talked a little bit about the, the doctrine of the five agent metaphysics, Neo-Confucian metaphysics and ethics. Um, as I mentioned, you know, according to the, uh, to the five agent metaphysics, elemental substances compose the moral patterns and energies of life. These substances include water, fire, wood, metal, and earth. Um, to return briefly to, you know, preparing myself to discuss this more, <clears throat> recently I um, had a, uh, a piece, an article published um, for the Blackwell Philosophy and Pop Culture series blog, uh, and in it I deal with uh, moral philosophy in Pokemon, right? Um, and, you know, Neo-Confucian metaphysics and ethics, the five agent metaphysics, comes up um, uh, pretty naturally in Pokemon. So yeah, um, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about this, and um, you know, let's let's build a bridge to our um, uh, the title of today's podcast. So to give you an example, um, I think I'd given one, but to give you another one, um, according to Mingzhu. Vincius, the you know, great Confucian thinker, the moral energy of water is a flood-like key. Uh, pronouncing it key. Uh, Q-I, which really just means ether or energy. Flood-like key is this moral ether that infills or floods the innate heart and mind. Or the original heart and mind quenching it and satiating it, prompting a desire for new substance to move on to the next stage of personal development, to move on to the next lesson of life. 
it has a positive value and a negative value. The positive is that it's for our moral development, right? The negative value is that the force of flood like key, though intended to bring about greater good, right, can cause one to mourn their detachment to things below, as how one might mourn the loss of earthly possessions taken away in the force of a flood. But we don't mourn. I don't mourn. We move on to the next lesson, one of a new life. In this new life, there is a different attribution to elemental substances. In this life, elemental substances compose the star of higher nature, immaculate nature. Water, therefore, becomes the principle of charity, the stillness of the word, fire, the affection for divine justice, wood, ethic of almsgiving, earth, gratitude for creation, and metal, the wisdom of evangelical poverty, which maybe seems a little counterintuitive, but we'll talk about that later. In this episode, however, we discuss a little about the substance of fire, uh, or the moral energy of fire, as the effectio USDTA, the flame of divine justice, or the affection for divine justice. So, the affectio USTTA is the affection for justice or the affection for divine justice. What is justice? It's a big question. (laughs) Saint Anselm defined justice as rectitude of the will served for its own sake. And Aristotle makes it specific with this addition. It has to do with another. So we can say, or rather people have said, blessed John Duns Scotus in particular, that justice is Rectitude of the will served for its own sake and for the sake of others. In view of the commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves, we think of justice then as rectitude of the will served for the good of oneself and, at the same time, the good of others. The affection for justice or divine justice is that affection which rectifies the will to act for the good of oneself and others and moderates another affection essential to the will, the affection for advantage, the affectio commodi. In Thomas Williams' article entitled From Meta-Ethics to Action Theory, which can be found in a few different places, but I'm getting it from the uh, the Cambridge Companion to Dunscotus. Dunscotus' theory of affectio justitia is characterized as the element of will missing in Lucifer's uh, composition, or his being. Dun Scotus writes, this is kind of lengthy, bear with me. If along the lines of Anselm's thought experiment in On the Fall of the Devil, one imagines an angel that had the effectio commodi and not the effectio justitiae, that is, one that had intellective appetite, merely as that sort of appetite and not as free, such an angel then could not 
refrain from willing advantageous things or from willing them in the highest degree. Insofar as the will is merely intellective appetite, it would actually be inclined in the highest degree to the greatest intelligible good. But insofar as the will is free, it can control itself in eliciting its act so that it does not follow its inclination, either with respect to the substance of the act or with respect to its intensity, to which the power is naturally inclined. Therefore, that affectio justitiae, affection for justice, which is the first controller, moderatrix of the affectio commodi with respect to the fact that the will need not actually will that to which the affectio commodi inclines it, or will it to the highest degree, is the innate liberty of the will. It is clear then that a free will is not bound to will happiness in every way in which the will would will it if it were an intellective appetite without freedom. Rather, in eliciting its act, the will is bound to moderate its appetite in the capacity of intellective appetite, that is, to moderate its affectio commodi, its affection for advantage, so that it does not will immoderately. The affection, I'll try to parse this out a little bit, the affection for divine justice moderates and restricts the will from pursuing things that are the detriment that are to the detriment of one's own good and the good of others. In other words, think about Lucifer, right? Uh, in Christian um, um, Christian theology and other theologies, um, other faith traditions. <clears throat> you know, Lucifer just wanted it all, right? To put it simply. Uh, wanted everything, right? So much so that he was willing to rebel uh, and wage war uh, to have it, right? Duns Scotus suggests that the devil does not have, or in its will there was missing, the effecti, effectio justitia, the affection for justice. He could not, because he did not have it, moderate uh, his uh, appetites, Right, the things that he wanted, it wanted. Devil's not he just what it wanted. Um. So, on that note, right, um, one mark that we are kind of not devilish, right, or not um, kind of under the influence of uh, quasi demonic or demonic powers or influences, is that we moderate our appetites we don't go after everything we're not ambitious for everything that we could have even if it's a good so one expression of the moderating affection the effect of justitia is a moderation of appetite such as the intellective appetite for wealth honor pleasure and so forth in fact there are serious admonitions given to those um, who inordinately or immoderately desire these things. It's not that these things are just inherently evil or bad, wealth, honor, pleasure. It's that we can have a, a wrong affection for them. We can uh, desire them too much. But again, there are admonitions given to people um, to, to warn them uh, against pursuing these things. One, obvious one, there are many, but one concerns um, uh, accumulating, you know, mass ridiculous amounts of wealth take 
the grave uh, warning of the Apostle St. James. Uh, his epistle, um, well, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 of his epistle reads, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you, and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. Ooh. Why might we be urged by virtue of the affection for justice not to pursue wealth, honor, pleasure, and so forth in the highest degree? Why not pursue these things to the highest degree? Why not become very rich, very honorable in the eyes of the world? Why not pursue every form of pleasure? Well, if we imagine rich to denote the immoderate attainment or pursuit of worldly riches, such as wealth, honor, pleasure, and so forth, in the highest degree, right? That's immoderate. Then the words of Jesus become quite clear, particularly in St. Luke. Uh, St. Luke's Gospel, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, as well as in the Gospel of St. Matthew. We'll focus on the uh, parable of Lazarus and the rich man at some uh, other time. I'm sure it'll come up. Um, for now, I think, uh, so as to not uh, have to unpack this, because there's, to be frank, uh, not enough time for this episode. I would want to just read from the Gospel of St. Matthew. So we read that Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. The moral philosopher... Um, Immanuel Kant proposed a notion, the notion of the hypothetical imperative, which is, in general, what someone should do if they have the desire to do it. I would say, in light of uh, what Jesus is um, telling us here and in, uh, what other scriptural passages teach us, that to moderate our will properly, to come to a salvific state of life, to be holy. If we have this desire, then, my friends, we should undergo the fire of the affection for divine justice. We should be purified by this fire, this test of faith. What is it like to undergo the affection for divine justice? Well, it might be like my daughter crying. It might be like pain, suffering. 
after all, when we think about the moral energy of these elemental substances, fire, water, earth, etc., we know that there's a positive and a negative value to it. Life isn't always just happy and pain-free. I would say that anyone who lives a life like that, or that is that their whole life is, you know, painless, without real suffering, then that's not much of an authentic life. I think fundamentally, uh, life is the reality of positive and negative, right? Of suffering, joy, pain, and happiness. Fire warms us as well as burns us. Right? It's a comfort. The energy of it is comf comfortable, and yet it's also a hazard to us. The story of St. Francis of Assisi atop Mount Laverna being granted a vision of seraphic love, fire love, the vision of abiding love of fire, is apt in showing what and how one undergoes the affection for divine justice, which is itself a complete conflagration of mind. It purifies, uh, tests our faith, but yet it isn't always uh, an easy or comfortable way of living. For St. Francis, this seraphic vision had been presented to his eyes by divine providence that the friend of Christ might know that he was, was to be transformed into Christ crucified, not by the martyrdom of the flesh, but by the fire of the spirit, the complete conflagration of mind. When we have undergone the power of this vision presented to our eyes by divine providence, we see ourselves as the friend of Christ, transformed into Christ crucified, not by the martyrdom of the flesh, but by the fire of the spirit, as it burns away our impurities of heart and mind and tests our faith. For St. Francis, however, the vision left behind a miraculous, permanent, and visible reminder of the seraphic vision, or of the new substance of fire being undergone. As St. Bonaventure accounts, it left behind a marvelous fire in St. Francis's heart, and a no less wonderful sign impressed on his flesh. For the vision disappearing, there began immediately to appear in his hands and in his feet the appearance of nails, as he had now seen them in the vision of the crucified. His hands and his feet appeared pierced through the midst with nails, the heads of the nails being seen in the insides of the hands and the upper part of the feet, and the points on the reverse side. The heads of the nails in the hands and feet were round and black, and the points somewhat long and bent, as if they had been turned back. On the right side, as if it had been pierced by a lance, was the mark of a red wound, from which the sacred blood often flowed and stained his tunic. The sign of Francis's affection for justice, or his seraphic vision, is the stigmata, the miraculous wounds given to God's beloved which correspond to the crucifixion wounds of Christ himself. This is the miraculous lesson, the one of eternal fire, and one given to few.
for us, what we can make of this, I think, is just what a song of praise would suggest to us. In other words, the lesson to be learned from undergoing the affection for justice in maybe, let's say, a lesser way than what Satan Francis did, um, I think is found in uh, one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite hymns, entitled, I, the Lord of Sea and Sky. There's a beautiful line of the hymn. I'll sing it. I'm not afraid to sing. It goes, I, the Lord of wind and flame, I will tend the poor and lame. I will set a feast for them. My hand will save. Finest bread I will provide. Till their hearts be satisfied, I will give my life to them. Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my heart. How lovely. I, the Lord of wind and flame, I will tend the poor and lame. It might as well read, I, the Lord of that terrible yet loving conflagration, tend to the poor and the lame. The lesson of our new fire, our new life, is desiring the fire of God's love. Love for the poor, for the lame, the sick, and the tendency of it is our new lesson. Sometimes all God asks of us is to desire such overwhelming love for the least of these. I would ask you, if you desire this love, to first think and speculate on the refulgence of your life, the brightness of your life at particular moments and overall, to think of the possibility and the reality of God working amid it. Begin there. And soon, I'm sure, you will be caught up within the whirlwind of flame. For the justice God demands of each one of us. For ourselves and our neighbor. I'm Lance Gracie. You've been listening to the Pilgrim Star Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed day wherever you are and whatever time of day or night that you're in.
Stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll discuss the stage of personal development, the lesson that comes with it, that comes after reflecting on the meaning of flood-like key. The stillness of the word.